The following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new. Good morning, IBC. My name is Sissy, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so good to be with you this morning. As Barry mentioned, we are in the third week of our Advent series that we've entitled God With Us. And in the season of Advent, we remember Jesus' first coming, and we look forward to his second coming. Advent is a season of longing and waiting, preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ. But, but often, this time of year also takes up the notch on, on the chaos and the madness and the noise in our lives. Not only are we busier than normal, but quite often during the season, it brings to the surface the pain and the grief, the relational tensions that we've tried so hard to ignore all year round. We become keenly aware of just how much is missing in our lives. This season points us to the God who is with us, but quite often, it can feel like God is nowhere to be found. Advent is all about longing. And what we most deeply long for, whether we admit it or not, whether we realize it or not, is the with God life. It's the deepest ache of our souls. It's our greatest desire but it's also God's greatest desire. The entire story of the Bible is not about our desire to be with God, but about God's desire to be with us. And this is most clearly seen through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Matthew opens his gospel by quoting the prophet Isaiah, who some seven centuries before Jesus is born, writes this. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In John 1, the apostle John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus made his dwelling among us. Or as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message translation, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In Jesus Christ, God came to dwell with us. He moved into the neighborhood. To say that Jesus is God with us means that God wants to have an intimate relationship with us. In Jesus Christ, the indescribable, uncontainable God becomes one of us, a human, who we can know and love and who we can have a relationship with. And Jesus invites us to be with him. When he first calls his disciples, he says to them, come, follow me. And they, later on, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, come be with me. Jesus' invitation of discipleship is to be with him so as to become like him and then to carry on his work in the world, to do what he did. And the more we spend time being with Jesus, the more we will become like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we will start to do the things he did. 
But we must learn to to live our lives being with Jesus within the the framework of our ordinary lives. Not the lives that we hope for or the lives that we wish for. Not someone else's life, but our life here and now, today. Michelangelo's masterpiece painting, The Creation of Adam, can be seen on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And if you look closely, you can see that God is is staring intently into the eyes of man. He's stretching as far as he can, reaching out his hand towards Adam. God rushes towards him. God says, I must be with him. I must get to him. I must close the gap between us. And so he reaches out his hand as far as he can, as close as possible. And then he leaves a little space so that Adam can respond. Adam, God says, will you be with me? Adam, do you want to be with me? And then God waits for Adam to decide. Michelangelo depicts a spiritual reality through this painting, God's great desire to be with us. The Bible says that God is present right here, right now, in this very moment, that the Spirit of God is available to us. He's at work at all times and in all places. The problem is, the problem is that most times we're completely unaware of it. Often we miss God because we're just not paying attention, because we're just unaware of his presence with us in these ordinary moments of of life. And the invitation to be with God that Michelangelo points us to is available to every one of us. But most times, we miss it. Advent reminds us that God has come to be with us and he wants us to be with him. Friends, God has come to be with you. Will you be with him? And if the answer is yes, then how exactly do we cultivate an awareness and attentiveness to God's presence in our lives? This is the question that I want us to consider this morning. And to do that, we're going to first look at a passage where Jesus gives his most famous metaphor of the with God life. And then we'll look at a scene from the life of Jesus where we will see the obstacle of the with God life. And finally, we'll close with some practices of the with God life. The metaphor, the obstacle, and the practices. See where we're going? All right, let's go for it. The metaphor of the with God life. Turn with me to John 15, verse 1. John 15, 1. I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Verse four, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus uses this metaphor to describe the spiritual reality where we can live aware and connected to God, where he is the vine and we are the branches. And he uses this phrase, remain in me, or other translations say, abide in me, 10 times in this passage. Make your home with me. Get in my presence and stay there. Root yourself in my presence. 
A branch cannot flourish unless it abides in the vine. And in the same way, if you and I want to flourish, if we want to experience this abundant life, this life to the full that Jesus offers us, we must abide with him. We must make our home with him. Abiding is learning to be in two places at once. It's, it's working out and being in God's presence. It's cooking a meal and being in God's presence. It's mowing your lawn or writing an email and being in God's presence. It's ongoing, steady communion with God. We are invited to live in ongoing communion with God, made possible through the presence of his spirit who is with us. In every moment, no matter how ordinary you think it is, God is with you and he wants you to be with him. The spirit of God is available to us. He is at work in us and through us if we would just be awakened to his presence. The invitation of our father is life here and now, the with God life as a reality here on earth. In your life, in my life, one of my favorite books is the bestseller, Boys in the Boat. It was just made into a movie. I think it's releasing today because I love a good underdog story. And in this book, Daniel James Brown recounts the story of the underdog United States crew team that astonished Hitler and the entire world by winning the 1936 Olympic gold in Germany. And their coach describes something called swing like this. There is a thing that sometimes happens in rowing that is hard to achieve and hard to define. Many crews, even winning crews, never really find it. It's called swing. It only happens when all eight oarsmen are rowing in such perfect unison that no single action by anyone is out of sync with those of all the others. Only then will the boat continue to run unchecked fluidly and gracefully between the poles of the oars. Only then will it feel as if the boat is part of each of them moving as if on its own. Only then does pain give way to exaltation. Rowing then becomes a kind of perfect language. Poetry. That's what a good swing feels like. Now swing, while swing is a phenomenon of describing teamwork, I think it can be used to describe abiding in Jesus. Because it's about being in sync with Jesus, walking with him moment by moment, so much so that even in the midst of pain, there can be joy. When you abide with Jesus like that, it feels like poetry. Nicholas Herman, better known as Brother Lawrence, was a 17th century French monk who started out as a soldier and then later joined the monastery where he spent most of his life working in the kitchen. And despite his relative obscurity, his character attracted many to him. He had a reputation uh, for experiencing profound peace and joy, and many came to seek spiritual guidance from him. And the wisdom he offered them through conversations and letters was later became the basis of the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence said this, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. If we want to experience the with God life, we must cultivate an awareness and attentiveness 
to the presence of God. God is inviting us to experience something that is far greater than we can imagine. Life with him in the here and now. But to do that, to experience that, we must learn to pay attention. Friends, the ordinary moments of life really aren't that ordinary. Because they're opportunities to meet with God. Brother Lawrence went on to say, God himself paints himself in the depths of our souls. Our souls were made to be with God. But what keeps us from this ongoing communion with God? Let's look at the obstacle. And we'll see this as we look at a scene from the life of Jesus found in Luke 10. And this is a scene where Jesus is at the home of Martha and Mary. And Mary sits at his feet to learn from him and Martha is busy in the kitchen. And so she complains to Jesus, Lord, tell my sister to help me. Can't you see that she's left me to do all the work? And here's how Jesus responds, Luke 10, 41. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha is being a good hostess. She's put up the tree. She's hung the stocking. She's making the ultimate grazing board. She's got the punch going. The house is spotless. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet without a care in the world. And Luke uses this phrase here, uh, sat at the feet of. And that's a technical phrase in the ancient world that's a reference to being a disciple of a rabbi. And if you were a disciple, you had a goal. Your goal was to follow your rabbi, to learn from his teaching, and to do everything that he did. So Mary adopts the position of a disciple. And I think very likely this is what is upsetting Martha. Because Mary is breaking all the rules here. Women aren't disciples. Women belong in the kitchen. But not according to Jesus. There was no other rabbi in the ancient world that had female disciples. No one that is, except for Jesus. Jesus welcomes her and he says, Martha, only one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that. Jesus isn't saying, Martha, you do all the work and let Mary sit here. He's saying the one thing that matters, Martha, is being with me no matter what is taking place around you. And then Luke tells us what the obstacle is in verse 40. Martha was distracted. Jesus is sitting on her couch and she's missing it. Luke almost seems to imply that Martha somehow got sidetracked, like she intended to be with Jesus and then she just missed it. You ever get sidetracked? Quite often I find myself hurried and distracted so I miss God's presence in my life. How often do you and I walk through life distracted? And Jesus, out of his love for her, tries to get her attention. And so he says, Martha, Martha. And when Jesus says your name twice, you better listen. <laughs> Pay attention. And he says, only one thing is needed, Martha. Live continually in my presence. Friends, every activity is an opportunity to be with Jesus. Brother Lawrence went on to say this. The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things. You ever have, ever have that happen to you? While several persons are at the same time calling for different things, 
I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees. I want to experience God like that. Uh, When I'm sitting in a meeting or when I'm sitting at a red light, I want to experience the presence of God in the ordinary moments of my life. And I think you want that too. So how do we do that? Well, before we look at the practice of this, we need to make a decision. We must decide whether we actually really want to be with Jesus. Because God doesn't push his way into our lives. Just like in Michelangelo's painting, he reaches out to us and then he leaves a little space for us to respond. And if the answer is yes, then we must make a plan because you will not just stumble or drift into a life of constant companionship with Jesus. Like you don't stumble into godliness. Dallas Willard said this, you must arrange your days so that you're experiencing total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. That and that alone makes a soul healthy. Good intentions won't cut it. I really intend to work out, but if I don't make a plan, it's probably not gonna happen. Like I don't stumble onto my treadmill with my sneakers on. If you want to be with Jesus, you have to make the necessary adjustments in your life so that can become a reality. Because it's going to require sacrifice and consistency as you navigate the different circumstances and seasons of your life. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, we must live the way of Jesus. And Jesus lived according to a certain set of habits and, and rhythms and practices. It's what some have called a rule of life. And this idea dates back to at least the third century. A rule is a set of practices and rhythms that help you order your life around the way of Jesus. It's an intentional commitment to live into what really matters to us so that we can abide with Jesus and center our lives on him. And over the past four years, I've been on this journey to increasingly cultivate an awareness and attentiveness to the presence of God in my life. These past four years have been one of the most challenging seasons of my life. And just about four years ago, I just came to this place where I knew I wanted more of God, where I needed more of God. And yes, there were circumstances in my life that I wish God would change, but that's not really what I needed What I really needed is to learn how to experience ongoing communion with God in the midst of those difficult circumstances. And so over the past four years, I've just been experimenting with some practices that help me pay attention to God throughout my day. And so this morning, I just really want to share some of those with you. And these are broad practices that I hope that you can then take and and adapt to your personality and your wiring and to your particular season and stage of life. And so I've grouped these practices into four movements of my day. So here's movement one. Start by stopping. Start by stopping. The the biblical day begins in the evening at sundown, not in the morning like we're used to. And we see that in the creation story in Genesis 1, there's this repeated phrase. There was evening and there was mourning. We begin our day with rest because God never meant for us to live in the chronic state of exhaustion that so many of us are living in. 
and our phones and our devices are not helping us. Enough studies have been done about the damage of blue light from our screens and our devices and what it does to our circadian rhythms and to our sleep. Maybe for you it's not your device or it's not TV. Maybe it's your work or maybe it's your hobby. Whatever is intruding on your sleep is adversely affecting your discipleship to Jesus because rest is a spiritual discipline and we all need it. And so here are just some practices that have helped me with this. I try to set a limit on my screen time on my phone. I turn the TV off an hour or two before bed. I don't keep my phone in my room because I don't want that to be the last thing I look at or the first thing I look at. I read a little bit before going to bed and, and then before I turn the light off, before I get into bed, I just spend a few minutes talking to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we are silent early in the morning because God should have the first word. And we're silent before going to bed because the last word also belongs to God. I want God to have the first and the last word of my day. So we start by stopping. And then movement two is we meet with God in the morning. The moment when I wake up, when I'm still just wiping the sleep from my eyes, even when I'm still in bed, I try to turn my thoughts to God and to fill my mind with his love and his goodness. And then I get out of bed and I practice kneeling prayer. And there's, there's actually nothing magical about this. I just get on my knees and I, and I open my palms towards God just as a physical reminder to me that I'm dependent on God and I invite him into my day. Our culture tells us to go out and seize the day, carpe diem. But kneeling prayer reminds me to receive the day as a gift from God. So some mornings I use a short written prayer that I just leave on my nightstand. And other mornings I recite Psalm 118.24. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I try to begin my day with the posture of gratitude because honestly, that's not the natural posture of my heart. And maybe like some of you, I don't always jump out of bed with a whole lot of joy. But as I kneel and as I pray, I'm reminded that the Lord has given me this new day, a day that I will never get back again. And I ask God to help me be aware of his presence with me throughout this day. I then go down and I make some coffee, which also is a gift from God. And then I head to my study to pray. Now, maybe for you, you're waking up to crying children or, or you're trying to get the kids off to school or maybe it's something else. But whatever it is for you, can you take a few minutes as soon as possible upon waking up to find a quiet place to pray? And here's just how I frame my prayer time. I begin with gratitude and praise. I grab my journal and I just write down three things that I am grateful for that day. And for me, there's really something powerful in this simple act of writing these things down because it leads me to praise. And then I spend a few minutes, really five minutes or less, just sitting quietly before God, looking at him, looking at me in love. I receive the Father's love for me and then I love him back. Before I accomplish a single thing that day, I remember that I am not what I do, but I'm the beloved daughter of God and this is the truest thing about me. The way I'm wired, I don't always know how I feel and so 
I spend a few minutes journaling. And I just try to bring my whole self before God. The things that I'm trying to avoid or hide or ignore, I bring before God and I surrender myself to him. I yield myself to God. I let go of giving up control over the outcomes of my life. And I make a decision as much as I can to say, God, I want you more than anything else in my life. And then I read some scripture. And I listen for what God has to say to me. And I ask God, God, how are you inviting me to respond to this? Is there a truth you want me to remember? A step of trust to take a sin that I need to confess? Or is there a command you want me to obey? And I learn to listen to his voice. And I just say, God, how can I please you today? What would you have me say? What would you have me do? And I see what God brings to my mind. And I try my best to do it. And then finally, I just bring my request before God. I pray for my friends and for my family. I pray for you and for our church. And I ask God to move in my life. I ask God for his help and his power and his provision. And the thing is, quite often, for many of us, this time of being with Jesus ends right here. And this is an important time. It's long been called a quiet time, but that's not all there is. God is so much more for us. Because he wants to meet with us throughout the day. So we meet with God in the morning. But then the third movement is we walk with God throughout the day. I try to slow down and live fully present to God. And this is really hard for me to slow down. But I do my best to slow down and live fully present to God, to others, and to myself in every moment of the day. Here are some ways I do that. I'm, I'm from New Jersey where we don't practice defensive driving. We practice offensive driving because our driving is just offensive. Like it's just really bad. And I am a pretty aggressive driver. And so what I started doing is instead of getting frustrated with the other drivers on the road, I just try to pray for them. And you would be amazed at how praying for my fellow drivers has made me a better driver. When I get to work, as I pass people on the way to my office, I offer a quick prayer for them. Or I try to give an encouraging word. I try to turn ordinary moments into sacred moments so that all of my life becomes a prayer that I offer to God. Tish Harrison Warren says this, the crucible of our formation is in the monotony of our daily routines. As I'm thinking through a decision I have to make, I ask God what he thinks about this. When I get to my desk and I look at my calendar, I pray for the people I'm gonna meet with. When I'm writing an email, I, I pray for the person that I'm sending it to and for the work that we're doing together. And just like you, there are a hundred interruptions throughout my day. And I try my best to welcome them, but honestly, I'm not very good at this. Because I have a plan and interruptions get in my way. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he welcomed interruptions. In fact, Jesus was the great interrupter. He interrupted the entire course of human history. The incarnation was the greatest interruption of all time. Jesus interrupted Mary's life and, and Joseph's life. Their dreams, their desires, their hopes had to be put aside to make space for Jesus. So now when I get interrupted, I just try to say, God, how do you want me to respond to this? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? It's an opportunity to let go of my plans and surrender to what God has for me in that moment. 
in one of Paul's letters, he commands us to pray without ceasing. It's just Paul's way of talking about abiding. And Frank Laubach was an American missionary to the Philippines and in the early part of the 20th century. And despite significant academic accomplishments, in spite of many years in ministry, Frank felt that he had never learned anything about surrender and joy in Christ. And so much later in his life, much later into his ministry, he decided to make the rest of his life a continuous inner conversation in God, with God, in perfect responsiveness to God's will so that his own life would become rich with God's presence. And so he began using what he called the game of minutes, which was a method of calling God to mind one second of every minute of the day. Now, I'll just be honest, I'm not at this place where I can call God to mind one second of every minute of the day. But I am trying to have continuous conversation with God by bringing him to mind with each new activity of the day. So every time I start a different task, I just try to talk to God about it. I set a few alarms on my phone to remind me to pause throughout the day, even just for a minute, to bring my attention and my affection back to Jesus. This is what spiritual directors call fixed hour prayer. I recenter my heart on God. And first, this was really hard for me. But over time, it's become easier. And every time my phone alarm goes off, often at very inconvenient times, it's an opportunity for me to stop whatever I'm doing, even just for a moment, to die to my self-will, to my plans and to my agenda, and to be awakened to God's presence with me. And then I just end my workday by thanking God for being with me and bringing him to places where I need his help. Annie Dillard said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. As we spend these moments of our day paying attention to Jesus, slowly over time, we will live all our days being with Jesus. So we walk with God throughout the day. And then finally, the fourth movement is that we reflect on our day with Jesus. So at the end of the day, I spend about five or 10 minutes, usually about an hour before bed, and I just reflect on my day using an ancient practice called the examine. And it's just a way of reviewing my day with God by paying attention to the places where I felt his presence and where I missed his presence. And quite often when I have missed his presence, it's because I'm trying to do things on my own. And so I just confess that to God and I thank him for his grace and mercy. These practices are just moments in my day that help me cultivate an awareness and attentiveness to God. And there are some days where there's just a whole lot of them and other days I miss them. But on those days, I've learned to have grace for myself because Jesus has grace for me. These are spiritual habits that take time to form. You will have good days and you will have bad days. You will have days where you're so keenly aware of God's presence and others days you just won't. But here's my encouragement. Start with where you are. You don't have to do everything at once. And even when you fail, because you will fail, keep going. This kind of living takes a lifetime of practice. Advent reminds us that God has come to be with us and he wants us to be with him. Friends, God has come to be with you. Will you be with him?
God reaches out to us in love and he gives us his son, Jesus, so that we might live in ongoing communion with him. And so we slow down our lives so that we might live undistracted. And then we live by a set of practices and rhythms so that we might live into what really matters, life with God. And as we spend these moments in our day paying attention to Jesus, slowly over time, we begin to live all of our days with Jesus. So what if you just started tonight? What if you experimented with this for a day or two days or maybe this entire week leading up to Christmas? Listen to me, there is a life waiting for you, a with God life. Why would you miss that? Why would you not want that? Why would you try to do it on your own? Our souls were made to be with God. They can only thrive when we're with God. And the with God life is not a life of doing more or trying harder or even trying to sin less. No, it's so much more. It's a life of deep joy and contentment and confidence. If only we would pay attention. God has come to be with you. The question is, will you be with him? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your great desire to be with us. Thank you that you loved us so much that you gave us your son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So would you help us to slow down, to pay attention to your presence with us, and then to order our life around a set of practices and rhythms so that we might live into what really matters, life with you. This is where joy is found with you and with you alone. You ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. To learn more about who we are, visit irvingbible.org new.